Dior Talks. I really want to celebrate the creativity of the women, but all the creativity. It's another way to give voice to the artists that I like. Only in this way you can move in the future and then you have a conversation with a new generation of women. I'm so excited to say that this episode of Dior Talks interviews the formidable feminist artist Penny Slinger. Based in California, but born in Britain, Penny is known for mixing the collage techniques of surrealism with the visual culture of 1970s feminism. For Dior's Haute Couture Fall 2019 collection, Penny Slinger was invited by Maria Grazia Curie to create the set for the show, staged within the historic building of 30 Avenue Montaigne, where Christian Dior originally had his atelier. Penny's installation was based on her book, An Exorcism from 1977, which she connected the spirit of an abandoned stately home to the feminine psyche. A huge influence on Maria Grazia Curie, she came across this book as the Dior studio had to leave the brand's historic location and it sparked a reflection on the spiritual, if not magical, qualities of places of creation. Active since the 1960s, Slinger emerged into a maelstrom of political protest, social change and sexual freedom. Influenced by the European surrealists, Slinger quickly began exploring and investigating the notion of the feminine subconscious and psyche using her own body to examine the relationship between sexuality, mysticism and femininity. My name is Katie Hessel. I am an art historian and curator from London and run the Great Women Artists Instagram account. I am so delighted to be virtually visiting Penny's Los Angeles studio today. I am in such admiration for all your work. And when I saw that you collaborated with Maria Grazia Curie, I just thought, what a fantastic collaboration. That is definitely an extension of what she's been doing for so long. So for Dior's Haute Couture Fall 2019 collection, you designed an incredible set that encompassed the entirety of 30 Avenue Montaigne. I mean, just to start us off, I'd love for you to tell us about this collaboration and how it came about. Yes, this was such a wonderful opportunity and I'm so grateful to be able to do this. Um, Maria Grecia reached out to me and told me the vision of what she wanted to do, that this was a very important moment in the history of the building and all of Dior's lineage and legacy, that uh, they wanted to have a, a celebration and a transformational event, a landmark event, because it was going to be the last show. So, when she asked me to do this, I just started meditating on it here in LA and uh, asked her to send me as much as she could about the building and its history and everything so I could immerse myself in everything that it was. And so I worked on this for about a month, um, just visioning and thinking deeply and thinking what would be the most appropriate thing to do. And when I had my vision, I went over to Paris and met with Maria Grecia and presented what I had in mind. And luckily, we had a total accord on the vision. This meant there was a green light to go ahead and realize really something that was a dream for me. I would say it was 
definitely the biggest collage I've ever done. Uh, <laughs> I decided to make an alchemy for the place and celebrate not only the alchemy of that, but also the feminine essence that had been so significant and relevant, not only as the muse, but as the whole workforce that had been behind all of Dior's creations all these years. Absolutely. Like you said, you are really interacting with the history, the legacy of Dior. You know, 30 Avenue Montaigne is really the heart of Parisian fashion in this western part of the capital, surrounded by theatres and other houses and suppliers. It's where Yves Saint Laurent, Marc Bowen, and more recently, John Galliano have worked and created their collections. It's a really unique piece of architecture, a real slice of fashion history. And because this building is so iconic, I'd just love for you to talk us through the different rooms that you created. You mentioned you created an alchemy. I mean, I'd just love to almost envision this for our listeners. It was interesting because although we put so much time and effort into it, it was like a Tibetan sand painting in that after the shows were done, it disappeared. You know, it was gone again. When I went to Paris, my first intention was to go and actually be inside the building and to feel and absorb the energies of all the rooms so that this could be as really relevant and deeply felt as possible. And so... Um, up the stairwell, I envisioned the whole earth element happening and happening in a way where we were bringing in all the trees. And I had photographs that I'd gathered in my journeys to the east, in fact, which I'd done for six months, a, a few months before this. And I'd photographed many trees, a lot of them in temples, because they're very special, sacred trees around the temples. And so all these photographs were used to adorn the ceilings, the walls, the floors, roots stretched everywhere. And then we had this incredible team of sculptors create a huge tree, like the tree of life, coming up in the center of the stairwell, going through all the floors and reaching to the top. And so when you came in, there was the tree of life inside the building and everywhere was covered in all these branches, twisted and turning and then with women intertwined between them as you looked in there was a woman half bird half woman entwined in the branches and so you came through there and into the next area and the first salon was with water and all the walls and ceiling and floor covered in images of water, the beautiful water reflections. And then the next salon was air. So I took all these photographs I had of cloudy skies and decorated all the surfaces with those. And then into the fire element. And the fire element was flames everywhere over ceilings, floors, but not destructive flames, but flames of purification and transformation again the alchemical fire and before that actually before we came into the water salon we had transitioned from 
the stairwell and the, the trees through another aspect of the earth element, which were the crystal rooms. And so I had a collection of crystals which I inherited, and I photographed all these crystals in detail and decorated all of the surfaces with these crystals. So it was like we were entering a crystal cave and then finding women as part of these crystal constructions that were embedded into the walls, into the ceilings, into the floors. And then we walked through from these salons through the garden, through the beautiful garden and transform that with arches filled with roses. And I had there a caryatid at the interface of the studio and the garden. And she was representing the female energy that was the support for this structure. So it was a life cast that was done, but not done in the way I normally did life cast, but a 3D modeled. So that was representing this feminine energy holding up the structure. And then in the studio where the creative work was done, everything was covered in rocks, photos that I Joshua Tree, in fact. And so that's a little bit of the story of the journey. At the doorway, I used the two vitrines, which normally would have beautiful Dior classic dresses in them. And in there, I did two more 3D scan life-size figures who were the guardians, female gatekeepers, very much in the style of some of the um, old sculptures that you find all over Paris with the woman completely draped and holding a lock and key. And one had the key lock in her heart and the other one had the key on her mouth. And these were very much um, a development from imagery which I'd used early on. And now I use these as the guardians. So I hope this paints some kind of picture for you. Yes, definitely. So, I mean, it wasn't just the inside of 30 Avenue Montaigne that you actually completely transformed into this incredible alchemy. It was also the facade. Can you tell us about this? Yes, this was something where we wanted to identify the very building from the outside as well as the inside, identify the building with the feminine. And in my early work in exorcism, I'd use the image of my face blended with the facade of the building. So here we decided to use the new technology of lenticular photography to be able to bring the image of the feminine into this huge oval lenticular image that graced the front of the building. And in that image, we combined the four different models who I had used as the archetypes throughout the building, we were able to bring them together. Lenticular photography blends different images one with another. So each of the faces were adorned with the different elements and then blended together in this lenticular image. So we had, in fact, a very universal, transracial, beautiful goddess who was adorning the front of the building. And that was quite a wonderful moment. So I mean, I've seen so many images of this fantastic installation. One of my favourite is of the woman who was wearing the gold house that you made coming out of the green trees in the rose garden. And I just think it is so beautiful. The idea of rebirth and really women 
taking over this history that Dior has. It really solidified her as this incredible feminist trailblazer who was going to make this fantastic vision and change at Dior, thanks to your incredible artwork as well. And I love the fact that you use alchemy as this feminist act. I mean, how do specifically fire, wood, water and rock have feminist connotations? I mean, tell us a bit about the history of that. How is this feminist? Oh, yes. Well, I, you know, in the ancient traditions, say, of the Vedic culture, you have Purusha and Prakriti, and that is spirit and matter, and Prakriti is matter. She is nature. And so in that sense, all of nature is seen as the manifestation of the feminine face of spirit. And so this seemed very relevant. And I do want to mention something as you brought it up about this um, uh, final result of the alchemy was the golden wearable dollhouse. <laughs> Earlier in my career, I had worked a lot with dolls' houses and transforming them and making them into harbingers of uh, the psyche, of the feminine. And in this case, I envisioned a wearable dollhouse. And the dollhouse was made from the exact image of the building and then covered in pure gold leaf. So her wearing that as the last look was in fact, uh, instead of a bride dress, we now had this marriage of elements and building and the feminine represented by this wearable dollhouse, which was the result of the alchemy and something which I saw as being now the feminine will carry this in her heart, in her body, on her body, in her soul, and take the energy of everything that is represented out into the world with the feminine force behind it. Absolutely. I love the fact that you use this idea of all these rooms being all these different flavours and all these memories that have been collected here for so many years. I find it so fascinating. And also, it really takes me back to surrealism. And I know that, of course, you were not around in the 1930s, but you were connected to people such as Lee Miller and Roland Penrose. Actually, when I visited Farley's farm down in Sussex a few years ago, I've been many times, it's where, for those who don't know, it's where Lee and Roland used to actually live. And I've seen some fantastic handmade gifts that you gave her when she was alive. So I'd love to know about your connection to the surrealists, both your art artistic connection, but also your connection to people such as Roland Penrose, because I know that you were also in a very seminal exhibition, Young and Fantastic, at the ICA in 1969. Yes, I met Roland when I was working on my thesis. And when I looked through the history of art to try and find what do I want to write my thesis on, it was then that I discovered for the first time the work of Max Ernst in the form of his collage books. And that was at the time a revelation for me because I'd never realized that collage could do that. And as I'd always have been, so very interested in the human body uh, as something to focus on in art because this is our interface, this is who we are. So it seemed the most relevant image to use and especially as a woman to use herself because woman's been used as a muse all the way through the history of art but I hadn't seen very much where woman was the subject as well as the object and looking at herself as the muse. So 
I thought that this was something I wanted to, to take up. But the lens and tools of surrealism were so exciting to me because they allowed for the merging and creating of new realities using the elements of known reality, but creating a, a surreality. So for me, surrealism presented this wonderful toolkit and the works of Max Ernst was so inspiring and exciting for me. And when I was writing my thesis, I thought, well, who in England really knows about surrealism? Because at that point, in our art history classes and everything at Chelsea Art School, I hadn't really had much exposure to it and only found it in my research. And so asking around, I had a friend called the Right Honourable Robert Erskine, and he said, Roland Penrose, that's who you need to meet, my good friend, Roland Penrose. So I did meet Roland, and I met him to talk to him about surrealism because he was friends with Max Ernst, friends with a number of the surrealists, and a surrealist artist himself. And so I went round for many wonderful meetings to his flat in Haunton Street in Kensington, and he shared with me the jewels of his collection, um, paintings by all the different, and collages by all the different surrealists. And he had such joy and such absolute embedded enthusiasm about everything that it was just a wonderful connection and relationship. And that gave me so much to work with. And then I had my diploma show when I was finishing with my course at Chelsea Art School, and I invited Roland to come. And that was in the, just at the beginning of the summer of 69. And Roland came to the exhibition and then said to me, oh, my goodness, Penny, darling, I didn't know you made such beautiful things. You've got to be in this exhibition. And at that time, he was the president of the ICA London, where Young and Fantastic was due to be put on. And he managed to speak to the curator. And my a number of my works were included in that. And then our relationship relationship just um, was there and went on over the years. And I had many wonderful visits to Farley Farm and got to know him and Lee very well. And that was uh, such a gift. He became a patron for me in the true classic sense of the world. And I'll, I'll never forget that and what wonderful gift that was for me in my life and for my art. Totally. And just thinking about in these recent years, working with Dior and this set that you created feels like we are almost coming back to this idea of performance art, using the body and the body being this tool to really express what's going on with the woman and the woman's psyche. I mean, going back to this idea of your materials and your process, you mentioned your love of collage earlier. I'm just so intrigued as to why you like to specifically use the body in your work you know what it what is it about the body the mouth the eyes the ears that really fascinate you yes uh, as I said I think it's because our bodies as embodied beings that is our interface with everything else so I thought if we bring in that interface into the work then it gives a bridge into everything else we're trying to express. And I also wanted to say, as was articulated in the title of my first book, 50% The Visible Woman, that we only see 
50% when we see the outside, when we see the body, when we see the physical form, we're seeing just that. But I wanted to show what's lying underneath. We are so much more than our bodies. We are our psyches. We are our unconscious, our subconscious, our dreams, everything that we are, our spiritual beings, all of that is in here, in this flesh package but we're so much more than the flesh and so my intention with collage and with the disruptive and revolutionary uh, tool that collage is to bring disparate things together and let them make love with each other to create a new thing is something which was so suited to being able to show not just the surface but what lies underneath what are the inner workings of especially the feminine psyche, which I felt had been so underexplored in the field of fine art, especially the plastic arts, um, writing maybe more. But for visual artists, I felt that this was a landscape that needed so much exploration. And so all my life I've been using the body as that uh, tool of exploration, not just as representation. And so now at my age, um, 72, I'm using my body and my new body of work. Um, it called my body, interestingly enough, but as my body of experience. And then through that, trying to articulate so many of the different things that I have experienced and which are significant for me, but showing it through the lens of this body, because that's how I experience life. And that is what I feel the feminine is. The feminine is so magnetic in a way that the masculine is not in that same sense. So that's why she's such a beautiful tool for art, because she draws us to her. And when we're drawn to her, I always wanted to give people a little bit more than they expected. I mean, the way that you conjure these different images just is just so fascinating. And it's so fantastic to hear that you are still working in collage. And, you know, when I first saw your work, I actually couldn't quite believe that it was made 40 years ago. It feels so contemporary. And especially, I'm particularly fascinated with your work that when you use mouths, folding the lips into each other to almost make it look like vaginal or bodily, conjuring these different images. At times, I mean, they could even be perceived as quite shocking. Why do you you like to use mouths and ears to actually create these different images what is it about these organic shapes that you are drawn to well definitely these are our organs of interaction uh, through our mouths we ingest and we project our words uh, uh, what we want to put out into the world so often comes through our mouths and yet I felt that particularly women's mouths had been uh, our voice hasn't been heard. And so I thought that this, the actual image of the thing itself <laughs> was such a wonderful way to use as an archetypal glyph for all those things that are unspoken. And in my titles, I would say, um, hear what I see, um, uh, read my lips, all these things which are kind of making a pun about things. And I've always liked to use humor in my work, because I think that that's a good way of dissolving boundaries and um, being able to say something pretty intense and heavy. But if you use humor, you can keep it light and um, it's a saving grace. So 
I like to use these things, putting an ear inside the mouth to, to shock people into re-examining how they look at these things. And I use both um, photographs of my own mouth and I use live casts of my mouth to make this whole series, which was part of my opening exhibition in 1973. And they're collectively called mouthpieces. And that's what I wanted it to be, to be a mouthpiece for the feminine, for that silent voice. And uh, of course, we're all opening our mouths a lot more now. But back in that time, this was quite a, a, a revolutionary act. What is the effect of using different props as well? I mean, props of body parts, but also masks and mannequins too. Again, it's the idea, the image, the self, the mask, the ego, the id, how one projects oneself, the person and the persona. And so having used life casts from an early time, I found that a life cast to me felt a little bit like a three-dimensional version of a photograph. It was a way of taking this replica of oneself or another person and then using that as an element in the collage. Again, the way that I use life cast was very similar to the way that I've used photographic collage because I put the life cast together with other elements in the assemblages to create that, that drama and tension that you see in the two-dimensional images. So all my life, I've loved to move between two-dimensional and the three-dimensional, and I'm still doing that in the current work. I have two sections of my my body series that I've manifested. I haven't yet exhibited, but hope to do that soon. And one of them is using life cast of myself and three-dimensional objects. That part is called the alchemy of stuff, interestingly enough. And the other aspect is where I've been using collage and now generally working with digital collage because those are the tools of our modern time. And when I discovered Photoshop, uh, it was like the holy grail for the collage artist and felt the natural progression and way to go. And so, in a sense, it's taken away some of the specialness and rarefied atmosphere of collage. I mean, it's probably the most used uh, visual tool that we have now. Uh, and yet, if you have something real and deep that you want to say, I think it is such a powerful and wonderful tool to be able to use. And when I'd finished my third collage book, I felt, hmm, I think I've explored this how I can for now. Um, I want to be able to have more control over things, to be able to change size and scale and transparency and all of these things. And then that's where then I moved into using collage in the in the digital world. Incredible. I mean, so your career has just spanned, you know, five decades, which has seen second wave feminism happen right through to Me Too, to the Me Too world that we are living in right now. You are a witness to all this history. And what is even more incredible is the fact that you have documented it firsthand. I mean, how do you think attitudes have changed towards women since you have been making work? Well, it has progressed so much. And I think now that, um, you know, I would say something for me personally, I would now claim myself as a feminist, whereas back in the day, I wouldn't, because I felt that I was kind of somewhat tangential to the feminist movement, because uh, a lot of them weren't really keen on what I was doing 
doing because I was using my body and because I was showing myself naked and they felt that that was not right for the spirit of feminism. And so I separated myself from all of that. But now that feminism has come of age, shall we say, and there is an understanding which incorporates all of that into the feminist matrix, now I say, yes, I definitely am a feminist and I have always been um, absolutely dedicated to the liberation of the feminine and of that essence, not just in women, but in, in men too, that we all need to claim that. And that if we had a world that was um, able to go by the feminist and feminine principles, which are alive in all our hearts, doesn't matter what our gender is, if we're allowed to have that, and men are allowed to feel all those things from the heart and the heart wisdom and the intuition and the compassion and empathy and connectedness and collaboration, we maybe wouldn't be seeing some of the crises that we're seeing on the planet right now. So this is the important time for the emergence of the feminine in everybody's heart and soul. Yes, it really is, which brings me back to the work of Maria Grazia Curie and her personal commitment to promoting women artists from all ages and all backgrounds and her tireless efforts, you know, really bringing women from around the world to create these incredible show spaces that will be seen on a global scale. I mean, how does this make you feel? I think this is so incredible and I support it 110% and I'm so proud of her for doing this work and being in the field that she is, um, promoting and really believing in the power of that position to bring these things to light and to broadcast and transmit that. This is such a noble cause and that's why I was so thrilled that she chose me and allowed me to be part of it because it's something I can so fully endorse. And um, we need more of her. We need this to be happening all over so that we can turn uh, a trickle into a huge roaring torrent that's going to just wash over and transform everything of this world into something that the, the feminine voice can be heard and can be just uh, broadcast through every heart and soul. Absolutely. And as this is Dior Talks, we always ask our guests at the end of each episode, who is your feminist hero? Well, you know, I guess I still have to go to Frida Kahlo. I uh, didn't really know her when I was a younger artist, though... Interestingly enough, I had uh, a painting of hers as a key image I related to and stuck in my sketchbook at art school, which was her, the one where she's looking down at her feet in the bath. And I was doing a number of images of myself in the bath and used that as an inspiration. But it wasn't until much later that I found her. And why I say she is my still my heroine, uh, certainly at the time and place that she was doing what she did, she knew that wisdom, which I feel I reflect uh, in my own work, which is, she said, you know, I'm, I know myself best. This is why I'm working with myself. And she also has such courage and she therefore represents being able to move through any kind of situation of 
physical duress, of all the things that may be loaded against you, and yet to come out triumphant through her vision and her dedication, her absolute commitment to the self-scrutiny and being the kind of artist she was, to me, is um, just a heroine. Thank you so much, Penny, for speaking with me today. Oh, thank you. How wonderful to talk to you. 